Hey, Rob. Hey, what's up, Mike? I was taking care of something when you called. That's okay. So this is a rock show episode 63. And um, who are we talking about today? We're talking about one of the most important bands in history, the Yardbirds. Yeah, I, I can't believe how big these guys were. Like, I was reading the history and the stuff. I was like, holy shit, these, these motherfuckers were for real. I mean, if you just look at the, you know, the members of the band. Yeah. And how important, you know, what they went on to do e- even after the band. Yeah. Know, to change music and everything. Uh, I mean, just between Beck and, you know, Clapton, Beck and Page. I mean, you know, music went in many different directions. After this band broke up. And uh, they're just one of these bands that, uh, you know, very few bands in history can you point to as this important. But the Yardbirds are. I remember where, you know, when Clapton left and he went to join John Mayhove, the... Um, yeah, the, um, the, the Blues Breaker. Yeah, the Bruce, the the the, 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 um, the British um, godfather of uh, Bruce. Yeah, John Mayhove. Yeah, right. Yeah. The Blues Breakers, yeah. I'd seen that guy live at BB Keen's. He was fantastic. Yeah, I mean the guy is uh, is pretty amazing, you know. And uh, he, he's another guy that a lot of people played with as well. Yeah, I, I was shocked that Clapton went and played with him for a bit. Well, not really, because if you think about what Clapton was trying to do with the Yardbirds, uh, yeah, you know, I think he felt they were going in a different direction, uh, not as bluesy and stuff as he wanted. So, you know, and he was an established musician anyway at that point. I'm going to get into that. Uh, you know, when he did join up with them early on, you know, he brought a lot of professionalism to the band. Yeah. So, you know, we could talk about that. But here we are again, the uh, another apocalyptic quarantined uh, <laughs> fucking episode here. Okay, I'm down in Queens and and, and New York State. Yeah. Do you like what I did with the um, with the picture? I just put the picture yes. of the work. Yes. I think it I think it's great. Uh you know, what can we do? This is the best thing we could do right now. You you know what's funny? That thing loaded up like in ten seconds. Because <laughs> yeah, because there's no video, it's just all audio. <laughs> I was laughing. I'd say if yeah. this was a video, it would have taken like two days. I know, I know. Okay, so we'll get into the Yardbirds here. They they formed in southwestern London yep. in 1963. You had vocalist Keith Relf and bass player Paul Samuel Smith. They were in a band called the Metropolitan Blues Quartet. Yeah, I was um, reading that. That was weird. Right. Now, you know, in those days when R&B in England was just starting, you know, you had the Stones, you had these guys. There was all these little bands. You know, remember the Kinks had quartets? Yes, it was it was like, you know, a, a carryover from kind of like jazz days. OK, these guys were all jazz heads, too. OK. And, you know, so you had that that type of name, Metropolitan Blues Quartet. Now, they had a gig lined up in May of 63 at the Kingston Art School. And at that gig, they ended up connecting with guitarist uh, Top Topham, Chris Drea, and then the drummer. Jim McCarty, okay? And it was this gig that really kind of put the Yardbirds on the map. Uh, They weren't called the Yardbirds yet, but they ended up for that gig, they were were the backup band for a guy named Cyril Davies. And Davies was known as a blues harmonica player. Yeah. In fact, uh, at his gigs, you would often see Mick Jagger. 
Okay, because Mick, you know, you know, Mick Jagger plays harmonica, right? Yeah. Okay, he's actually one of the best blues harmonica players around ever. Mick Jagger. A lot of people don't realize that, and he and he actually got influenced by Cyril Davies. So he was at these early gigs. Um, they would change their name from the Metropolitan Blues Quartet. But didn't Keith also play the harmonica? Oh, Keith Ralph did. Yes, absolutely. Yes, he did. So you might have, uh, I mean, I'm not sure how those shows went, um, but they, they might have played together. Yeah, because I knew he played a harmonica. That's why yeah. I was like. Yeah, he did. He was known for that. He was a good, a very good harmonica player, too. Um, he, they would change their names to the Blue Sounds. Yeah. Then they would settle in on the Yardbirds after jazz saxophonists. Uh, Charlie Parker, whose whose nickname was Yardbird or Bird, okay, and that's like the guy that they do the Charlie Parker Festival, right? Yes, yes, that's it. Um, now, at the same time as this, the Rolling Stones had released their first single, and it was a song called "Come On," and the Rolling Stones uh, played often at a club called the Crawdaddy Club. Yep. Now, when they released their single, they went on tour, and the Crawdaddy was short a regular band and the Yardbirds just filled the slot. They moved right in and uh, their music was similar to the Stones in some ways, but I think they took it, the blues to a different level. Uh, They would do Howlin' Wolf, Muddy Waters, Sonny Boy Williamson songs, Elmore James songs. Um, They were, they were just very exciting, very good. Uh, In October of 63, Top Topham would leave the band and he would be replaced by Eric Clapton. Yeah. And, you know, Clapton, like I said before, was already established as a, as a kind of a genius guitar player. He'd been playing since he was like 15 years old, something like that. And uh, very serious. He was known to be constantly practicing. He was meticulous. He was a well, perfectionist. Uh, he had a vision and his vision was to be this kind of like, you know, white blues guitarist. Yeah. Um, You know, one thing, too, that's kind of a little lost in the years when you think about that time in England is that listening to that music was controversial. Okay. I mean, it was definitely controversial in the States. But here you had, you know, a bunch of white musicians playing black music. It just... You know, it was something that the only way I could describe it, it was almost like punk rock. You know, they were just like, fuck you, we're playing this music. Yeah, but you know what it was pretty good? There, but there was definitely blues. You could tell right off, like, the influence, even the way they would play the guitar, it was definitely blues, very definitely. blues influence. Right, right. And then um, later on, I think they adopted, like, that little bit of rock and roll, but they, from the beginning, they were pretty much blues. Well, you know, Clapton would have been very, you know, had he stayed in the band, it, it probably would have been a lot different. Probably would have been a little less experimental. You know, Beck yeah. was pretty experimental. Page was very experimental. Yes. Uh, had Clapton stayed in there, they probably would have been more just blues-based and that's it. But yeah, probably. For, for the time that he was in there, though, he was important. Um, he gave the Yardbirds kind of this aura of professionalism because he was so well-liked. Okay, and um, at the same time as that, they met up with a guy named Giorgio Gomelski, 
Okay. Yeah, that guy turned out to be the their manager, right? Yeah, he managed them. He was also uh, involved in some of the production. He was a half Italian, half Russian guy. Yeah. Uh, he had this thick accent, and he basically ran shit at the Crawdaddy Club. But he was kind of like this Svengali kind of character. You know, he would guide bands. Um, he guided the Stones at some point. Uh, I don't know if he was ever officially their manager. I don't think so. But he did, you know, push them in certain directions that would be successful. Um, Sonny Boy Williamson was was someone that the, the Yardbirds loved. I mean, they did his music. Um, he was actually going to be playing in the, UK, in the UK. And Gomelski got in touch with him and, and, and arranged that the Yardbirds would be his backing band. Yeah, that was Sonny Boy Wilson and the uh, Yard Boy and the Yardbirds and the Yardbirds. Right now, in December of '63 and early '64, they backed this guy. He was a blues legend, and some of these live shows were recorded. And a few years later, will be released as Sonny Boy Williamson and the Yardbirds. Um, at that point, after that tour, EMI's Columbia label. And that would be around February of 64 would sign the band and they would record more live tracks at a March 20th show in Marquee at the Marquee yeah. club. Yeah. Big and, club. Uh, that would become, you know, the five live Yardbirds live album that would be released at the end of the year. Um, this record is pretty much Clapton's record of being in the band. Okay. Uh, these live tracks that they did, it's all covers. Uh, Too Much Monkey Business by Chuck Berry. I Got Love If You Want It by Slim Harpo. Smokestack Lightning by Howlin' Wolf. I'm a Man, the Bo Diddley version of it. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, they did that type of stuff on this album. And this is what they were known for, you know. They released two singles at the time. I Wish You uh, Were and uh, Good Morning Schoolgirl. Exactly, exactly. And the third single would be a problem, right? Yep. What was that? For Your Love, right? Yep. Okay. Now, everybody, I love that song. But I, the I problem think, is that For Your Love was the first hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Those two those two earlier singles, even though they were bluesy, yeah. they didn't go anywhere. They bombed. And these two tracks were what Clapton wanted. The third track called For Your Love, which ended up being the big hit, Yeah. he didn't want that. He felt it was just pop crap. And it wasn't in line with his vision he had for the band. He walked out and he walked out the day the song was released and it would actually be a number one hit. OK, but, you know, look, the guy had a vision and he felt that the band wasn't doing it. So he left. I'm sure there were other things involved there. We'll never know. Oh, yeah. But uh, he would again, he would join the uh, John Mayall and the Blues Breakers um, and on his way out he would recommend session guitarist Jimmy Page to join the band. Yeah. But Jimmy wasn't interested. He, he was making a lot of money doing session work at the time. Uh, there's a, there was a label called Immediate Records. Uh, they put out a lot of singles around that time in the early, early to mid-60s. And Page and even John Paul Jones, bass player from Zeppelin, yeah. uh, you know, he, they would play on these things as session musicians. And you know, it's him. It's him. You know, and he was well-respected in that category as well. Um, Page, knowing that 
you know, he wasn't going to join the band, recommended his buddy, Jeff Beck. Okay. And Beck came down, met up with the Yardbirds and he fit in perfectly. All right. So when he joined the band, For Your Love was on its way up the charts. Yeah. And it would go to number one in the UK and it would make number six here in America. Now, I, I love that song. I always did. Uh, that is a great is, song. Is it, um, is it as good as some of their other stuff? No. But I don't really view it as like a, you know, a, a, a pop song sellout kind of thing. But, you know, it was what put them on the map and they needed to get on the map. They were a British band among a, a sea of other British bands. They had to stand out a little bit. And Beck, joining the band, um, he, he brought a lot, right? Right to the right in, from the beginning. Because he was an innovator in, in, in fuzz tone sounds. Fuzz tone, right? yeah. Like a reverb echo sound on the guitar. He knew how to use feedback and distortion. Distortion, right, yep. to, to make this kind of like original guitar sound that nobody sounded like before, okay? Uh, we talked about some of this stuff with other guitar players, guys like Link Ray. Uh, oh, yeah. Taking knives to their guitars. I think Rick, uh, Ray Davies did it in the kinks. Uh, not to their guitars, I'm sorry, to their amplifiers. Uh, they would, you know, slice their amplifiers a certain way to get that sound. But Jeff Beck actually could play that way. He knew how to tune the guitar. He knew how to, you know, make modifications and stuff to get that sound okay and that brought a lot of excitement to the live shows which is you know the yardbirds recorded a lot but you know they didn't record tons of music but the live shows were what they were really known for yeah because they were great they were a great live band yeah. you know yeah definitely so let me tell you another thing mike these guys pretty much they had a pretty good record label so the record label that we did were called the way they were uh... big labels with big label, yeah, they were what they were with the Columbia, right? EMI Columbia, EMI, and then um, uh, EMI Capital Columbia and Epic. Yeah, I mean they were on major labels. Um, they were look, they were well respected. I think you know right out of the gate they were a band that probably should have been bigger. You know, I think, but through various probably mistakes and some infighting and stuff you know it, it they, they weren't huge in america i mean you know what i, I gotta take that back they were huge yeah. at one point dude they had some good hits because yeah. they even travel america a few times yeah 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 what i mean is is that in that short time they were huge but they you know too bad they didn't last longer you know what i mean to be bigger but when beck um would join up all right. They, this is when they would start making some of these groundbreaking recordings. Oh, they had some great songs. Right, like uh, right away, um, a sound that they they you know were known for was that kind of like fuzzy sitar, you know, Middle Eastern Indian sounding guitar, and that would be brought out on Heart Full of Soul. Okay, that's a great oh, fucking yeah. song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was in the summer of '65 that got released. Uh, there was another song called Evil Hearted You. Great song, also too. Who had, you know, Middle Eastern sounding guitar. Uh, then you had the B-side of Evil Hearted You, which is a song called Still I'm Sad, which has Gregorian chanting in it through. The, through the yeah. Song, which is a great tune. Uh, they were still doing the Bo Diddley cover of I'm a Man. And, yeah, but that was only for the U.S. Uh, yes, yes. There was like 
different versions of the singles. Sometimes they would be a different B-side. But what they were doing with, especially I'm a Man, when they would do it live, is they invented something called the rave up. Okay? And it's when, like, by the end of the song, it would speed up almost twice as fast. And, you know, Ralph would be blasted away on the harmonica. And it would kind of come to this, like, big climax with Beck shredding the guitar and then it would go back to normal and they would end the song all right so the the rave up idea was something that they you know other bands had done it but they they pretty much had had perfected it i think for the live shows um in august of 65 they went on their first u.s tour now remember they were riding high on for your love so, yeah so two albums were released in america kind of in anticipation of this uh, one called For Your Love and one called Having a Rave Up. Now, they would record some of this once they first got to America because they would be hanging out down at Sun Records in Memphis. Yeah, I, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they actually recorded uh, Mr. You're a Better Man Than I, which is probably my favorite Yardbird song or one of them. And then uh, their version of Train kept the rolling. Okay. Yep. Um, it's funny because Sam Phillips, who owned Sun Records, was was producing the the sessions, and uh, he was saying how he, he he loved the band. He thought you know Beck was an amazing guitar player. Uh, he he liked the rest of the band, the drumming and everything. But but I think he shitted on the yeah, singer. He did. He shit on Ralph because Ralph was drunk the whole time, and they had to they had to do the vocals over a couple of times. But uh, you know. Ralph, Ralph was known for getting lumped up a little bit. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> no, no, nothing wrong with that, man. Um, they would do a total of three U.S. tours while Beck was in the band. They also did a European tour in April of 66. But in February of 66, they released their first original song as a single, a song called Shapes of Things. That's a that's a very good song. Fantastic song. Now it's considered yep. the first British psychedelic rock song. Okay? Yeah. And a lot of people used to say it was Rain by the Beatles, which is the B side of Paperback Rider. But yep. that would not be released for another three months. That yep. song Shapes of Things got to number three in the UK and number eleven in the US. The B side of Shapes of Things was Mr. You're a Better Man Than I. And they released in May another single called Over Under Sideways Down. That's another good that was, song. That's too. another track where they were using kind of like a sitar sounding guitar. Okay. And they had that Middle Eastern sound to it. Um, in April of 66, they were working on a new album just called Yardbirds. But a lot of people refer to this album as Roger the Engineer. Why do they call that Roger the Engineer if album? You the, if you look at the album cover... The original album covered it. It was actually uh, the British version of the album had a cartoon picture of a guy named Roger Cameron, who was their recording engineer. And Chris Drea would he, he was a, uh, he could draw and he would draw shit. And he drew this cartoon picture of Roger. So what you have is it says the Yardbirds on the cover. But kind of like above it, it's scrawled underneath the underneath the picture of the guy. It says Roger the Engineer. So everybody just called the album Roger the Engineer. 
Wow. Yeah. So really, it's called Yardbirds. Okay. Now they had uh, gotten rid of uh, Gomez Gomelski, right, and got Sam Napier Bell as their new manager. Now Paul Samuel Smith, the bass player of the Yardbirds, would go on to producing this album. Okay. Um, and Ralph and McCarty wrote the majority of the album. There were no there were no covers on it, and they recorded it in one week. Wow. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's a great album. Um, I think it's always voted as one of those albums like you got to hear before you die. Yeah. That type of thing. Um, gonna... Mike, you want to hear what I might do with this? I might just put a bunch of record album cover for the video. Okay. Yeah, just put the like the singles or something or the, yeah, that, that would be Put cool. like a bunch of covers together. Set up, I'll put like one or two picture buttons and then put a bunch of cover of the Yard Boys. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, the tracks on this album, the, the Roger the Engineer album, is Over Under Sideways Down. You got a song called Turn Into Earth, a song called Ever Since the World Began. There was a track called Jeff's Boogie. To me, this is like the definitive Yardbird studio album. And it was released in June of 66. Now, Paul Samuel Smith shortly after would quit the band. Okay. Uh, there was a gig in Oxford, England that he would play. And after that, that would, he would leave the band and just get into focusing on producing. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Page happened to be at that gig at Oxford. Okay. And he volunteered his services to the band after uh, Paul Samuel Smith quit after the show. So he volunteered to play bass. And Chris Drea would play guitar, okay, and would basically learn. He would work at learning uh, the bass. He would eventually switch over to that. Now, the band toured for a while with Paige on bass and Beck and Drea on guitars. All right. Now, they played a show in Paris like that, the U.K., and then they did a tour of the U.S. West Coast like that. What was happening was Beck was involved with this actress named Mary Hughes. Now, it's not, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure exactly what happened, but I think this chick, like, did a number on him, okay? He was involved with her for a few years. He ended up having a nervous breakdown over this chick, okay? And wow. they, they did a gig in San Francisco at the Carousel Ballroom, and that was August 25th, 1966. Beck couldn't perform. Okay. He was so fucked up. Uh, I'm sure there was a drinking drugs involved or whatever or whatever. But he was with that girl, Mary Hughes, and he was trying to recover. Yeah. Um, so what they did was Drea for that gig actually moved over to bass for the first time. Okay. And then you had Paige just playing guitar. So they had one guitar player. All right. Now, after that tour... The band reunited in London, and then you would have Drea on bass, uh, Beck and Page on kind of like a dual lead guitar lineup. They would trade off leads back and forth. All right. Um, actually, uh, a few years later, you would kind of see the Stones do a similar thing. Okay. They like Mick Taylor would join in 69, and Richards would be on guitar, and through the the years with Mick Taylor, it was never really like Richards was was rhythm, and 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 Taylor was lead. Is they traded, 
That's think about them, dude. They had look at the lineup of guitars they had. Yeah, yeah. Now this this unfortunately this lineup would not last that long. Okay, uh, they would record the single happening ten years time ago. Yep, and then there's the B side of that called Psycho Daisies, and they yep. recorded those two songs between July and September of '66. Beck is actually singing on vocals on on, on Psycho Daisies. Right. And they also had that guy John John Paul Jones on bass. Also, John, at one John Paul Jones plays bass on "Happening Ten Years Time Ago." Yep, right. I think Drea played bass, but I think when it came to the recording, I don't think he was comfortable. I think that's why they brought in John Paul Jones, who was a friend of of Pages. Um, "Psycho Daisies" is a great track. Uh, you know Jack White from the from the White Stripes. Yeah. Okay, he was in a band called The Henchmen, briefly. Yeah. And they did a good cover of that. I think they released it as a single. Um, you want to hear an interesting uh, fact? Yeah. You know, with that, um, that album, um, the album, the uh, Roger the Engineer? Yeah. And uh, Rolling Stone, 500 greatest album of all time. What do you think that album falls on? I think it was in the 300s, right? Yes. Guess which one? I want to say about 340, 350. Yep, you got it. 350. Yep. 350. Yeah, I remember reading that. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's one of these albums you got to hear before you die. You know, yep. it's, it's a great fucking album. Now, in the US, when they released the single for Happenings, uh, they put a song called The Naz Are Blue, okay, on it instead of Psycho Daisies. So for many years, no American fans knew about Psycho Daisies. It's, it came out like years and years after they broke up. Um, interesting enough, the song The Naz Are Blue was sung by Beck as well, uh, like Psycho Daisies was. But there were two people that were well known that, you know, I'm going to mention these names. You know them. And they used the name The Naz in their band. Okay. One was a guy named Todd Rundgren. Yep. Okay, he started a band called the Naz, and it was just taken from the Yardbirds title right there. No one knows what a Naz is. I got no fucking idea what it is, but it just was the name. And also, Alice Cooper would start a band called the Naz before it was Alice Cooper. Okay? Yeah. And he had to actually change it because Rundgren beat him to it. Okay. Uh, the Naz with the Rundgren, Rundgren in the band had a song called Open Your Eyes, which is like a guitar uh, nugget 60s garage classic uh, little Steven plays it all the time on his station um, anyway they would do a reworking of Train Kept a Rolling by uh, Tiny Bradshaw for the film Blow Up that they were becoming involved with yep. there was a director named Michelangelo Antonioni and they would do a song called Strolling On which is a, a reworking of Train Kept a Rolling another one of my favorite uh Another one of my favorite uh, Yardbird song is Strolling On. I love that tune. Um, This movie is kind of like a film about a photographer. The guy playing it is an actor named David Hemmings. Um, And he's basically hanging out in what was like the swinging London scene of 66. Now, Antonioni originally wanted The Who in this role, not the Yardbirds. But The Who refused to be in the movie. I don't, for whatever reason, they didn't want to do it. Uh, they turned it down. And then at one point, they were even considering the Velvet Underground. 
No. Yeah, but they had something with power with their work visa, right? Right, right. For some reason, they couldn't get work visas. Don't know why, but they couldn't to work in the UK. And uh, they ended up settling on the Yardbirds. And there's a part in the in the movie, it's just a quick scene where they're doing strolling on on stage, where Beck you know, destroys his guitar and smashes it on stage and throws the neck of it out into the audience. Yeah. All the girls go crazy. And it's something that, like, you know, Pete Townsend would have done. So it was kind of like a Who reference, right? Yeah. There. <laughs> you know, we got to have a band smash their instruments on stage. It doesn't matter who it is, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so in uh, May of 66, uh, a few weeks before Paige would join the band, there was a track that Jeff Beck was working on a kind of a solo track called Beck's Bolero. All right. Yep. Now Paige has said that he's written a song. He's written that song. Uh, Beck has said he's written that song. It's actually credited to Paige, but um, at the sessions you had John Paul Jones on bass, Keith Moon on drums, Nicky Hopkins on piano. John Entwistle was there. Uh, from the who the bass player from the who uh and when they were all hanging out Ant whistle passed a comment about suggesting this is a super group in the works right here yeah you know and then he said well it'll probably go over like a lead balloon and then keith moon said more likely it'll go down like a lead zeppelin okay oh, and that's where they got the name so page was present okay and in 68 he would remember that conversation when he named the band led zeppelin that's how they got the name keith moon keith moon actually said it he's the one he said it'll go down as a like a led zeppelin okay now through 66 they had relentless a relentless touring schedule uh through the end of 66 going into 67 uh, they would open for the Stones in the UK a couple of times. Uh, they did an American tour with Dick Clark's Caravan of Stars, and they did a slot on American Bandstand as well. Um, now, after some American dates with Dick Clark, Beck left the band and yep. wanted to be with his girlfriend, Mary Hughes. Um, whatever hold she had on him, I don't know. Okay. But uh, he would officially leave in November of 66. And between a combination of that and Keith Ralph's drunkenness, uh, they kind of limped back to the UK. And they had some more shows lined up. Yeah, and, the, with the Dick Clark thing, the, right? The American Stand stuff? American Bandstand. They did play on yeah. the Bandstand. But they were on tour with Dick Clark also. Yeah, Dick Clark's mm-hmm. Caravan of Stars. Um, and it became, yeah, that's what yeah. it was. Remember we talked about that with like the yeah. Shangri-Las and the Ron. Oh, yeah. It was all part of that. Okay. He would do that. He did a couple of those Caravan of Stars, like between 64, 66, like that. So uh, Jeff Beck left and they became a four piece band, right? Yes. Okay. Beck would start a solo career of his own. He started the Jeff Beck group. Yep. Okay. And then he went on to a, a pretty amazing career. Um, Paige would be left as the, the, you know, the only guitar player. All right. Now, this period in early 67 now is kind of like their final period as a yeah. band. Um, Paige would begin experimenting excessively with different techniques playing guitar. Uh, he would bring in a lot of like wah-wah pedal, 
okay? He would start playing his, uh, his guitar with a bow, okay? Stuff that he would be famous for in a short time once Zeppelin got started. Uh, nobody was doing anything like that. Nobody was playing a guitar with a bow. Nah, that was like that was like very fucking. Um, that was new. Yeah, that was new. Okay, uh, he would also do what's called open tuning on the guitar, and it's something that people would experiment with, where you would openly tune the guitar as opposed to tuning it. it, it I don't know how to explain it without getting into like a big musical you know, explanation of it. Because I don't totally understand it myself, to be honest with you. But it's kind of like they openly tune to like one note, all right? And when you do that, you can make the guitar sound like a sitar, all right? And that's what they had a lot of success with that sound. And he would just, you know, invent different ways to do that. Now, sadly... Happening 10 years time ago when they released that a little bit earlier, it only got to number 30. And they were looking to stay on top. All yes. right? And the band ended up dropping their manager, Napier Bell. Okay. And they signed up with uh, Columbia Records hit maker Mickey Most. All yep. right. And Mickey was known for working with like the Animals and Herman's Hermits and other groups like that. Uh, Donovan, he even worked with Donovan. Donovan. Yes, absolutely. He worked with Donovan, who was huge at the time. Okay, I mean, Mickey Most was, was you know, pumping out a lot of hits for, for artists. Um, they would release a new single called Little Games, and it flopped. Yeah, it didn't do good at all. Yeah. Uh, EMI wouldn't even release another record in the UK by that band. Okay. Following that, all their singles and albums would be released just in America. All right. They came up with a song called uh, Tinker Taylor Soldier Sailor. Yeah. And that would be the last single in the U.S. to chart for them. It would go to number 44. But the band wasn't dead. They were touring a lot. Uh, the first half of 67, they toured Australia, New Zealand, Denmark, and France. Uh, in June of that year, they hit Vancouver, Canada. And then they did another tour of the United States. All right. They would release their final album, Little Games, only in the U.S., like I said. Uh, and they would be under new management. Once again, they would get a guy named Peter Grant. All right. Now, Peter Grant is famous because he went on to go with Zeppelin. Okay. And all the millions of stories with, with him. Okay? Yeah. You know, how he was with that band. Um, Pages experimenting would go in, like, full effect. Okay. And they would pay off a lot in the live shows because what they were doing live is they were kind of inventing this psychedelic sound that really would just turn into Led Zeppelin. Okay? Yeah. What they sounded like, and he would be playing live with the bow. All right. Uh, they would take, they, they didn't do some of the older popular songs. They didn't do as much. They kind of emphasized the, the Beck era, heavier blues stuff. Um, I think they might have cut For Your Love out of the set, I think. Okay. Uh, but basically, uh, they, they were kind of like emphasizing the heavier stuff in their, in their catalog that they had. All yeah. Right? Now, Little Games, that album had a song on it called Glimpses. And it was a very like long psychedelic track. Uh, they were known for doing that. Uh, he would play with the bow. 
Also, they would do a, a cover of the Velvet Underground's Waiting for My Man. Yeah, and a little Bob Dylan also. Yeah, a little Bob Dylan with that as well. Um, what can you say about the song Days and Confuse? Yeah, uh, got to talk about that because it had its it had its birth in the Yardbirds. Yeah, All right. it, it it's a. I mean, everyone knows it from Zeppelin, right? Yes, of course. Okay, off the, off the first album, uh, but it, it it's actually a cover. Did you know that? Yeah, it's a cover. Who did originally? Guy did it. Guy named Jake Holmes did it originally. It was a folkish kind of track that uh, Page had seen Jake Holmes perform it. All right, he was like a folk singer, and Page had seen him live. And he kind of took it and reworked it, changed it around, and turned it into like the psychedelic classic that it is. Um, he would get jammed up with it though, because years later Jake would sue him. And wow. now, whenever it's, he had to give a lot of money to him for that song. And now, whenever it's listed anywhere, Jake Jake Holmes' name is on there. You understand? Yeah, so that's a writing credit, right? As a writing credit, but for many, many years, you know, Paige just said he wrote it, but he, he didn't write it. You know, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of that shit with Led Zeppelin. Uh, you know, I know people that hate Led Zeppelin because of that. OK, you know, uh, even Stairway to Heaven. Has yeah. Been accused as a ripoff. Uh, there was band another called- band that started with that same Spirit. beginning. A band called Spirit. Like, yeah. A couple- Years earlier, had that same intro in a song. Exactly, you know. And also, there's there's lyrics that were taken from old blues stuff that they never credited properly. Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I've I've read about all that stuff. It just seems like Page was, I don't know, he was just all over the place. You know what I mean? I mean, he wrote plenty of songs by himself. I don't know why he would have to steal something, but he did. You know. He probably liked the way the sound or something, the way of, you know, so he yeah. said, fuck it, I did it. Or, you know, maybe he just figured if he changed it enough, it wouldn't even be the same song anymore. But, you know, if you take the, if you don't change the name of the song, right? Yeah. You know, so, but they would, uh, you know, they would be doing this song, Dazed and Confused Live, the Yardbirds, okay? And uh, it was different than it became with Zeppelin, but it had elements of it, okay? You would recognize it if you heard it. Um, but by 68 now, the band members were going in very different directions. Ralph and uh, Keith Ralph, the singer, and, and Jim McCarty, the drummer, were, were leaning towards like folk music almost. Okay. And uh, Paige wasn't interested in that. He was interested in doing this kind of heavy blues psychedelic stuff. Okay. That would eventually become Zeppelin. And Chris Dreyer was interested in photography now. He, he was losing interest in music altogether. Now, their very last single with Mickey Most producing would be a song called Good Night, Sweet Josephine. Yep. And the back was a song called Think About It. Now, think about it when you listen to it. It has a snippet of Dazed and Confused in it. <laughs> okay. So it, it's kind of like that little bit was thrown in there. But the single bombed, didn't chart. They would go to New York City in March and April of 68, okay? And they would they would record some live tracks here in the city. 
um, they would also do some studio tracks. And there was a song that they worked on called Know That I'm Losing You. And that song would later become uh, on Led Zeppelin 3. It would come. It would be Tangerine. Tangerine, yep. A great fucking song. Now, unfortunately, those that era stuff that they were doing for that month there between March and April, the live stuff and the studio stuff, would never get released. They would be shelved. Okay, but years later, when Zeppelin was riding high, Epic Records tried to put the live stuff out. Okay, and they wanted to capitalize on Page. And they called it Live Yardbirds featuring Jimmy Page, you know, live in New York. Well, he, he squashed it. Oh, that, that got sued right away. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. He, he put a lawsuit out there and they stopped it. Now, that album for decades was a bootleg. OK, I'd heard it many years ago. OK, it's a great album. All right. Uh, but it was bootlegged 100 times over. And uh, Page eventually would, would, would actually take it and remaster it only a few years ago it got released officially uh you could get it on i think it's a double vinyl trying to remember if it's on rhino it might be on that label or something else i forget but uh page actually he he took out some of the banter like you know that keith ralph the speaking that keith ralph was doing in between the songs uh otherwise he kept all the music intact and uh, I've heard it. It's actually pretty cool. I've heard it online. Um, between May 31st and June 5th of 68, um, they basically played some shows out on the West Coast, a place called the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. And then they played uh, in Alabama, the Montgomery International Speedway. These would be their last shows in America. Okay. And Ralph and McCarty would announce that they're leaving the band. That was on June 12th. But one last gig in England was planned. And that was in a place called Luton, Bedfordshire. And on July 7th, 1968, they would do that gig. So that would be the end of the Yardbirds originally. But Paige and Drea would continue on because they looked at this as a chance to kind of like put a new band together, get a new lineup, and Paige would be the leader of the band. Yeah, didn't they okay? form like the New Yardbirds or something like that? The New Yardbirds, right. You had um, the New Yardbirds would, would, would morph into Zeppelin, all right? Yeah. Now, Peter Grant would continue to manage the band. They needed a singer. So there was a young singer that was starting out named Terry Reed. Uh, he was asked to sing, but he turned it down because he just signed a contract with Mickey Most. Okay, so he wasn't interested in joining a band. He was a solo artist. Okay, he's actually pretty good, Terry Reed. I like some of his stuff. Yep. Um, but uh, Terry Reed said, Well, you know, I can't do it, but I know a guy. He's kind of unknown, uh, but his name is Robert Plant. Okay, and they would get Robert Plant. Jimmy and Robert would meet and hit it off. And Robert would bring along his childhood friend, drummer John Bonham. Yep. Okay. Now, as at that point that Drea had second thoughts, and he would quit. Uh, he would quit playing bass. He would quit the quit music altogether, and become interested in photography. And that's where they All brought right. John Paul Jones. 
Right. They remembered their friend John Paul Jones, yeah. who was known for a lot of session work and everything, and they brought him on, and they were called the New Yardbirds. Yep. They did three shows like that, okay? Uh, again, emphasizing some of the heavier Beck era tracks and then the newer page stuff that he'd been working on. But on October 19th, 1968, uh, they dropped the Yardbirds name and they became Led Zeppelin. Wow. All right? And it was based on the conversation that John Entwistle and Keith Moon had uh, earlier. And the rest is history, man. They were called Led Zeppelin after that's, that. That's amazing that from the Yardbird, it was the, 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 the thing that started the entire Led Zeppelin thing. It, it, it really, like, you know, the fact that Clapton was in that band, the fact that Beck was in that band, and then to have that connection with Zeppelin, it's like everything goes back to the Yardbird. Yes. Okay? So many, I mean, you think about all that and, and what musical influences came out of those people okay like look at zeppelin all right i mean heavy metal comes from led zeppelin yeah okay and a few other bands but you know even songs like uh communication breakdown yep led zeppelin you know that's almost a proto-punk song okay it's just a three chord fucking thing all right and you know so you know the yard and also guys that started punk bands Everybody from, uh, you know, the Sex Pistols to the Ramones to, uh, you know, the Dictators like Manitoba, okay? You know, they were all big Yardbirds fans, okay? Everybody loved them. Uh, my friend Rick Rivets, okay, who started the New York Dolls and the Brats and the Corpse Grinders, he actually saw the Yardbirds with Jimmy Page, okay, that era, okay? Not Beck, but Page, um, at a place called the Acton House on Long Island. Okay. Wow. This was in 67 or so, probably early 68. He said there was hardly anybody at the show, and he was hanging out with Jimmy Page at the bar the whole time talking to him. Okay. So he always remembered that. So, you know, so many people were influenced by these guys. Clapton influenced so many guitar players it's just you can't even you know you can't even count okay but ralph and and jim mccarty would go on okay yeah they 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 left the yardbirds they started two bands one was called together and one the regiment and and they would record albums with those um ralph would produce for a few years some different bands but then he resurfaced again in 75 with a band called armageddon Yep. It's kind of like a hybrid metal folk thing that was actually pretty well received. Uh, they did record one album, but sadly, uh, May 14th, 1976, uh, Keith Ralph would be killed in an accidental electrocution in his home studio. Okay. How crazy is that? And the, the, the sad thing is, is that his son actually found him in the basement. Uh, he was lying on the floor with headphones on and it looked like he was sleeping. Yeah. And he was known to do that sometimes with headphones on down in his studio. So I think his son thought he was sleeping and then, you know, realized he wasn't. Um, over the years, you know, the Yardbirds would get, you know, I, you know, cause everything goes back to them. You know, the, the huge popularity of Zeppelin, 
Clapton, Jeff Beck Group, all that stuff pointed back to the Yardbirds. So they always had a lot of interest, a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, they would get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I think, in 92, right? Yep. Okay. In 92, they went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and um, a lot of the members show up from Eric Clapton to um, yes. Paige. Yeah, they all should, a lot of those guys showed up for that ceremony. Right, right. And over the years after that, they would reunite a few times. Obviously, obviously no Ralph, but, uh, you know, you would have Drea playing, McCarty playing. Uh, I think a couple of times Beck, you know, showed up for a show here or there. Um, you know, they, they, they've been keeping it alive going into the, you know, the 2000s. Um, but, you know, for me, you got to have Ralph in there. He was a, a good front man. Yeah. So his sister uh, started singing with McCartney for a little bit. Yeah. After Ralph died, uh, the band Armageddon, I think she might have been involved with or it might have been a different band. But uh, the yes. original uh, Renaissance, including McCartney and, and yeah, Keith's sister, Jane Ralph. Right, right, right. That's correct. So that's the story, my friend. Pretty interesting, man. A lot of um, great information you had there, man. But from from this band, we got so many different offsprings, and and all those guys are good. Yeah, I mean, it it, it really was like top notch. Probably one of the only bands in history that I could think of that contributed so much, you know, to different genres. Okay, I mean, Jeff Beck was a different kind of guitar player than Jimmy Page. Oh yeah, that's two okay. different. You know, if you if you listen to 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 Beck's solo work, it's nothing like what Page was doing. No. Okay. You know, and, and then Clapton was his own thing. Okay. Uh, he would experiment in some different styles. He would even do reggae. All right. Like I shot the sheriff and all that stuff. But dude, uh, just think about you going to a show, you're seeing fucking Jeff Beck and, and, and freaking, um, uh, Paige playing like, that's like amazing, man. Just thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but then they weren't big, you know, they were just regular guys. Okay. In, in just one band that was making a difference, but it's just what they went on to, you know, and the roots of their music all intersect in the Yardbirds. So to me, they're just as important as the Beatles, the Stones, uh, later on the Ramones and, and other bands that would come later uh, as important bands that you could point to as just the fact that they existed changed everything. I know, I, I, we got a lot. We still got a lot of bands to cover because I think we soon we got to do a Gigi Adams show. We got to do a Led Zeppelin show. Yeah. It's a lot uh, of shit to cover still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, I'm, I, I I know we got to do a Gigi Allen show. Now, I had heard that Merle's band, okay, the Murder Junkies, which was Gigi's backing band, uh, I heard something that, you know, everything is up in the air. The, the, the gigs were canceled because of the coronavirus. I yeah. think in that. That was supposed to happen in June. But we've got some good stuff set up for May, right? Yeah, for May. We got a lot. Of, we got a great lineup for May. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do a show on T-Rex. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to do a show on Paul Revere and the Raiders. Oh, that's going to be great. Yeah, that should be good. Uh, we're going to do a show on the the, uh, the mayor of the Sunset Strip. That would be Mr. Rodney Bingenheimer, the DJ, famous DJ from L.A. Yep. Uh, um, that's going to be a good show. He is a guy that has had his hand in everything going back to the early sixties. Okay. Uh, 
he was involved with so many bands. Uh, I'm going to send you a, a, I think it's on Netflix, Rob. If you have a chance, it's called Mayor of the Sunset Strip. It's a documentary on Rodney Bingenheimer. You got to watch it. And that's on Netflix? I think it's on Netflix. Okay. I have the DVD if you can't find it. Yeah, definitely okay. send me the link to that because I like to look at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, what else did we talk about for May? There was another one. Uh, it was what? Which? Oh, yeah. The uh, we're gonna do the making of the George Harrison album. All things must pass. Yep. Okay. The Phil Spector production because we've been kind of on a little bit of a Phil Spector kick. Um, one band that we gotta get to soon. And I kind of put some feelers out there because I'm friends with a girl named Maria that is a huge Cheap Trick fan. And we're going to do a show on Cheap Trick and hopefully we'll be able to have her on because she's got all kinds of stuff. That means we can't shit on them. Well, we can shit on them a little bit. I like to shit on on Cheap Trick. (laughs) (laughs) We like Cheap Trick, right? Yeah. But I like to shit on them because they're like that band that's... They're like that band, like that... That band. Well, they got no. some clunkers. They got a few clunkers. But, no, nah, they're good, but... Most of that stuff is good. Yeah, most of that stuff is good. I just, I, I just like to shit on them anyway. <laughs> yeah. But they're pretty, they're pretty you, know, you know, Robin Zand is a pretty boy. You got to shit on him a little bit. It's okay. Yeah, so we got a lot of stuff, man. We got a big lineup. So um, Going after, into the summer. So after this show, we're going to do... For the first show we do is the DJ... Yeah, yeah, that's the next one we're going to work on. And that's already for May. Uh, this was the last show in April. Yeah. Time to put this up. So, you know, we're already into May. We're ahead of the game. Hopefully, you know, we'll be back in 7B or I-Bar, wherever, the bunker, wherever. Yeah. Together. Well, well, definitely, what I'm definitely going to do is um, I'll start putting pictures of that. That's what you're going to get for now. So, yeah. uh, Mike, how can people get in touch with you if they want to send you an email or answer or questions? Okay. Uh, you can contact me on Instagram, RockerMike212. I'm on Twitter as well, RockerMike3. And then you can find me on Facebook under my name, Michael Baker. Uh, where can we find you, Rob? Um, let me tell you something about you on Twitter. You're definitely active. I always see you put stuff on there, music. Yeah, or yeah. Songs. I do my I do my songs of the day and songs of the night and you know different shit. I try to couple you know a couple of posts a day. You know what the problem is on Twitter? You don't know how many people hit you, but a lot more people see it because some people see it that don't even subscribe to you, but a lot of people see it. Yeah, I mean, I I think with Twitter, what I try to do is send it to all these different places. Yep. Okay. You know, you, you know me, I'll, I'll fucking hashtag Donald Trump. I, <laughs> I see that. <laughs> you know, so song of the, so, you know, song of the day, Gigi out needle in my dick and I send it to. to Donald so let me Trump. ask you, um, what would be the song of the week from the Yardbirds if you had to pick one? Oh, man. You know, Mr. You're a Better Man Than I is, is always been a song I love. Uh, it was actually covered by the punk band Sham 69. Wow. Uh, back in the late 70s, they do a really good version of it. But the original, I mean, it's just, to me, it's it's just the, the lyrics, what they're talking about, saying, like, don't judge a, a guy by his clothes and his hair and all that stuff. You know, it, it, it always just sat well with me. Like, this is just a cool fucking song. You know, but they're great. You want to hear something funny? They, they all, the Yardbirds got a song on the Fear and Loading 
also in Dude, Phil Lolling, the movie Las with, Vegas? yeah, that it starts something, then it just go Johnny, like, 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 um, like uh, Johnny Dead is talking and saying something, and then it goes to the John Burton song. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember that. I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, it's in a, a while. great movie. Yeah, they, they've been they've been used in movies. Definitely, they have. Yeah, and um, you, know? you can find me on Getting Lumped Up. Anything on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and right. even on YouTube. And uh, YouTube, we definitely need more subscriber. We got the hundred subscriber now. We're trying to get a thousand subscribers so we could go YouTube live. Right. Well, we need it, people. Definitely hit hit like, hit subscribe. We're getting there. We're doing well. Yeah, we're definitely doing well. We're definitely uh, reaching the audience. Um, and these episodes are being done from, um, you know, we're both do from our houses. And uh, we're just recording these episodes on our phones. And so far, they sound pretty good. That, that conspiracy yeah. episode, people need to listen to. It was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing's going to stop us, man. Yep. All right, Mike. Have a good one. And remember, don't, don't get, get drunk, drunk. Get lumped up.